Okay, starting out, we're going to do a little review in Genesis. We're in chapter six, and I just want to say, this is a crazy chapter on a lot of different levels. It can be very hard uh, to just even understand God's heart in this chapter. And not only that, to understand God's heart, but to also see some of the phrases and terms and different things going on in this chapter. We could spend weeks, I know I say that very often, but this is one of those uh, chapters that uh, Bible geeks love to spend hours and hours on and have all kinds of theories about different parts of it. We're going to start out with a little bit of a review, and we're going to not take too much time on the super controversial, confusing things, because I believe that that's not what we'll talk about it, but I don't believe that's where God wants us to spend our time. I think God wants us to understand what is the big message he's trying to get across in this passage. So if you remember stepping way back, here's kind of the breakdown of the book. The big idea is that God's grace is the cure for our corruption. I think we would all agree that the world we live in is corrupt. I, I think if you've been alive uh, for long and are honest with yourself, you can tell that you even have a little corruption inside of you, and that really the only the cure for that really is God's grace alone. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that. If you break down the book into two big sections, I kind of said, it's like if you want to look at it, like it's not in half exactly, but there's like two sides to it. First of all, he's talking about the beginning of the human race. Right now we're in that section six to nine, the flood. We're just going to cover six today. But then he talks about the chosen race and uh, God's people. Who are God's people? His chosen Israel, the Jewish people. We see a lot about uh, the Jews going on in the news right now. And God, we believe that God has chosen the Jewish people to reveal himself to the world. But when they rejected Jesus Christ, he kind of said, okay, okay, I'm going to hit pause on my plan with you guys for a while. I'm going to work with these Greeks or Gentiles for a while, and then I'm going to come back and bring the Jews back to myself. But this is the beginning of the Jewish race that we're going to see uh, starts out in uh, the book of Genesis. We go chapter by chapter. Chapter one, we saw his creation, and we saw that God is totally separate from his creation, right? He's not one of his creations. He's altogether different. He's above. He's the boss. There is the creator. Everything else is the creation. It's important for us to remember that. We're not on par with the creator. We are under him. We, are, we need to live subject to him, his uh, rulership, but we also saw that he was very gracious and kind and benevolent in his creation of man. Chapter two, we saw the garden, how he provided for every need that man had, even gave him the blessing of having a wife and a partner, and that God was just being so gracious. And then what did man do? Did man show him in chapter three, like, man, we're so grateful. We're going to do everything you say. No. Serpent showed up and uh, kind of dangled the, like, hey, you can have even more. Remember what's in our heart? Well, this is good, but not good enough. I need something else. I need a little something else. What I got right now is not good. It's okay. It's good, but not quite good enough. And so we saw that uh, the serpent uh, tempted Eve and Adam and Eve sinned. And uh, what did that result in? Division between them and God. Division between each other. Difficulty, you remember, women are going to have pain in childbirth. There's going to be a contentious relationship between the husband and the wife. Man's going to have a hard time making a living. All these things, difficulty. So there was division. There was difficulty. And then ultimately there was death. 
they were not allowed to partake of the um uh the tree of life anymore and a angel was guarding that tree with a sword a flaming sword it says so basically they would end up dying there's death and we saw that that's but we saw that god continued to give grace to adam and eve even in that you guys with me i know i'm covering a lot right now but i'm trying to catch us up for anybody who um maybe not familiar and then so you think okay they learned their lesson <laughs> they had a kid and he's going to be a, a little angel right no cain ends up murdering his brother abel the firstborn cain uh murders we got our first murderer here and god gives them all these opportunities to repent you remember he says hey if you will do good things are going to go good sin is crouching at the door wanting to overtake you don't give in to sin and he gave in to sin anyways killed his brother uh but god kept trying to get him a chance to repent and he refused to repent and then we saw from there that even uh Lamech, one of their ancestors, is even worse of a man. And so what we saw that in that chapter is very true. And I think it's easy for us to see in our society today is it talks about that there was an ironworking and farming and they were building cities. So you see like these external technological advances like, wow, look at what they're doing. But inside, internal the corruption just kept growing and growing and growing. We see that in our society, the stuff that, I mean, a lot of us in here are at the generation where we saw things that we thought would be science fiction and their reality today. And you're like looking at what humankind can do. And they really, humankind cannot fix the internal condition. We can do a lot of awesome external things, but we can't fix the problem. But one thing we saw was, that God kept uh, this seed alive. I'm going to talk about that promise in a minute. And then in chapter five, it was a genealogy and it kept saying, he died, he died, it died. He lived 900 years and died and died and died and died and died. So we saw death prevailing. But then we saw again, that God gives this promised bloodline through Seth. And the reason there's this promise is in back in chapter three. I know I'm, I'm covering a lot on this, but I feel like I don't want us to lose the big picture of what God is doing here. Here's Genesis 3.15. Some people call this the first gospel proclamation in the Bible. The first good news proclamation for sinners. He's, he's talking, God's talking to the serpent, and he says, I will put enmity or strife or division between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he, that's a capital he, who's that he? Jesus, Jesus Christ shall bruise your head so or crush your head is a, probably a better translation will crush your head and you will bruise his heel how did satan bruise jesus's heel he got he had to suffer death he got crucified he was spit on like there was pain in that he got a snake bite on the ankle he didn't get through his life here on earth uh, in gold robes and all of these nice niceties, he got snake bit. <laughs> but we know that one day the Savior, Jesus Christ, will crush and destroy the serpent. And that's the promise here. And it's going to happen through that bloodline of the woman. And through, through Jesus Christ, we have that. 
But we saw right off the bat, Satan's trying to snuff that plan out, isn't he? And this is going to tie in a little bit to today. He's trying to snuff that plan out. So you have Abel. What happens? He gets killed. Satan's at work, man. He's trying to, he doesn't want that seed that's going to crush his head. He wants to eliminate that. So there's murder. And so he tries to stop that. And so what this tells us is there's going to be an ongoing battle between Satan and mankind and between Satan and the deliverer. Is Satan battling us today? Is he our enemy? Yes. Is he the enemy of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the deliverer? He is. But this tells us that Satan will hurt the deliverer, which he did, Jesus Christ. He caused him pain. But that the deliverer, Jesus Christ, will what? Destroy Satan. So in chapter 3, we saw that promise of the seed. In chapter 4, we saw the pollution of that seed. Cain's line got polluted and corrupted. Chapter 5, we saw that God preserved that promise and preserved his seed, allowed there to be a new son, Seth, born so that a Savior could be born. We caught up? Yeah. Okay. Any questions or thoughts, comments, arguments? Rude remarks, save for afterwards. So real quickly, then, let's just ask a couple questions and, and try and... Uh, tie this into what we're going to look at into some real life, everyday internal struggles we have. What's the problem with ignoring crime and wrongdoing? No consequences, no repercussions. What happens? It gets easier. What else? Escalates. The problem grows, right? If you just let people, and we see it in our country, the problem just grows and grows and grows and grows. And not only the problem grows, but what happens is the problem grows. Innocent people are harmed if you don't punish. Now, we want sin punished. In fact, we want it punished hard. We just don't want our own sin punished hard. But we all have this sense that God put in us, this sense of justice. We want to see sin punished. Is it right for sin and wrongdoing and crime and evil to be punished? Okay, hang on to that idea. So it's right for evil to be punished. Okay, you said it, not me. Well, we both said it. Um, And then another question. Why do many people have trouble accepting something they haven't earned for themselves? Because we believe nothing's for free. No free lunches. We were taught that, right? You took economics class. One of the phrases they said was, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Pride. Yeah, I was going to say it. It's kind of like I have people who don't want to accept anything. And part of it, I think, might be trust. Mm -hmm. But part of it is pride and ego and they don't realize that i one time had something given to me and i'm going but god i don't need this and he went you need to learn from steve mm-hmm. yeah i i think and maybe this is just because i'm a guy so i'm saying this but maybe it's across the board but i think in particular a lot of times guys have trouble accepting something they haven't worked for or earned and we have phrases for that, like, I'm not going to be no freeloader. I ain't no mooch. I'm not a charity case. Like, right. I mean, we can relate to that. Uh, I remember when Carly uh, had our, our daughter, Evie, and people wanted to bring over food, you know, right right after. They're like, oh, we'll bring over meals. I was like, pick one person. We're only having one. She's still mad at me about it today. I'm like, pick one person. We're not having a ch- train of people. I can fix us dinner. So, like, we'll figure it out. Um but it's this part in us that does not want to accept 
a gift. And that's what God says. God says, spiritually, you may want to earn it, but you can't. You got to accept it. It's grace. It's an undeserved gift. And you got to say, yes, you got to spiritually speak. I'm not saying this in all of life. Spiritually speaking, you got to be a charity case and you got to come to grips with the fact that you are a charity case. You need God's charity. That's a tough pill to swallow. And I'm not saying that should be your perspective to all of life and become a charity case in all of life. But spiritually speaking, we need to be charity cases. In what ways? I feel like we could just almost wrap up right now, right? <laughs> so you guys are like, we got, still got a sermon here? In what ways does doubting God's promises affect our daily living? Who here doubts some of God's promises sometimes? Okay. Well, how does that affect you? Get you down. Get you down. We take control. Yeah. Take control. control. Uh-huh. Take control. Become anxious. Keeps you away from being grateful. Keeps you away from being grateful. Yeah. Okay. So let's just pick a couple of God's promises. God says you're forgiven. You're like, nah. how are you going to be if you're not feeling living trusting, abiding in his forgiveness. You're like, he couldn't forgive that. We like hold, like withdraw from him and withdraw from others too, I think. But especially from him, if you feel like I'm dirty, I'm ashamed, I can't get close to God. God says, uh, here's another promise. Uh, You're going to spend eternity with me in heaven. Mm, I'm not sure if I can buy into that. I don't know. How are you going to live your life? You're like, I'm not sure if I'm going to heaven. I mean, What an yeah, you see the effects. There are effects for not trusting and resting in it will affect our daily living. And we're gonna see, we're talking about Noah today. Noah did believe God's promises and it affected his day-to-day living. All right. So the big idea for today is God's grace rescues sinners from condemnation. God's grace rescues sinners from condemnation. You guys know any sinners? You got a neighbor? You happen to know one guy? <laughs> David Mitchell. She's not David. David said his wife's not here, so that's who he's. Yeah. I think she has a different side of the story. All right. So the first chunk of verses we're going to look at, verses one through seven, God's response to the spread of sin is we saw sin just keeps spreading and spreading and spreading. Um, and so uh, I'm going to have a few folks read and in this first section there's gonna be three groups of people that we're gonna look at uh the sons of god the daughters of men and nephilim or giants so right off the bat you're like whoa okay what are what is all this we're gonna just talk very little about that but kind of keep your eyes open those are some of the people we're gonna talk about but the bigger point here is what's happening in humanity okay who wants to read i think there's two slides go ahead then began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them. But the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Go ahead, keep going. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. There were giants on the earth in the space and also afterward. When the sons of God came into the daughters of men and the Lord's children to them, 
Those who were the mighty men who were old men. Okay, not going to spend a ton of time on this, but uh, there are a few things I want to mention. First off, before we get into the identity of those people, he says, basically, I'm not going to continue letting man, there were these long lifespans, and there's two different views to this, 120 years. Like, what is the 120 years? And I'm not 100% sure, but they're both good arguments. What does this 120 years mean? One view is God saying, in 120 years, I'm going to bring a flood. We haven't got to that part yet, but he's saying in 120 years, I'm going to give 120 years and then the, the gig's up. That's one view. The other view is this 120 years went because the chief, previous chapter we saw they're living to 900 years with 700 years. The other view is the max someone's going to get after God made this decision was 120 years. And we know that that's pretty, pretty much the case these days. So I don't know which of those it is. I think they're both good arguments and you could go round and round, but I don't think that's the idea that God's wanting us to like really find the answer to that out. <laughs> I think we can, we'll find that out in heaven one day. But then we look at the identity of these groups and what you see happening is he's basically saying back here on this page, multiply. And so we see people are multiplying, multiplying. There's this people are multiplying. And the idea here is, who are the sons of God and who are the daughters of men? There's three views. One says the sons of God are Seth's godly descendants and the daughter of men are Cain's ungodly descendants. And basically saying that you had these people, God followers and not God followers who were intermarrying each other. And the result of that was mankind was becoming corrupted with because you have these believing and unbelieving families mixing, which we know in the New Testament, we're not supposed to be yoked together with an unbeliever. And so a lot of uh, people say this is what that was. It was two different groups of people. And there's this other very, very different view. And basically, the sons of God are demons, and they marry and cohabitate with human women. And you're like... That sounds absurd. How would that even work? What's crazy is there are some scriptures that point to, like you could use to really argue this view. And there are some very solid arguments. As I was studying this out, I will tell you all week, I'm like, I think it's this. And the next week I'm like, I'm like, no, it's definitely this. No, it's definitely this. No, it's definitely this. I'm not sure. Just know those views are out there. Um, but the whole idea was, again, that that would be Satan's plan through demonic forces to corrupt the seed line or the human lineages so that a righteous savior could not be born. So there's some validity to both of those views. Third lesser view is that these uh, were referring to ungodly kings um, or, yeah, ungodly kings marrying women and then so basically you have these powerful people <coughs> pick a view study it out look at it if you go on the internet if you've watched uh what was the name there was a noah movie um what was the guy's name russell crowe russell crowe i never saw it but i think it kind of took some of this stuff i heard people say you know i was kind of weird this stuff what it was doing was trying to make sense of these things but then you have okay so we 
We don't know who those were, but now it's talking about Nephilim or giants. Who's that? <laughs> it that the idea here, I think, is that there are these powerful people. They were, as we know, like Goliath, there were people that were very big. But also it talks about men of renown, men of old, men who basically were mighty men. And so the, these powerful people were in place. I just want to point those things out to say they're in there and there's a lot of confusing stuff. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that today. It's super interesting and super fun to dive into. And I want you not to be surprised if you hear those things somewhere, those ideas out there and know where they come from. But that's not where we're going to spend our time today. And just on this principle is that to remember, I want to know. I do want to know which is which. But God doesn't always tell us everything we want to know. He does tell us everything we need to know. I think everything we need to know is in this passage, and we can make sense of it. But he doesn't always tell us all our curiosities. What do angels look like? And he gives some pictures, but not everything. And so we need to understand kind of the bigger picture here. Step back and look and go, there were a bunch of people and they were multiplying and things were kind of going sour <laughs> and there were some very powerful people. Like if, if you just like really boil it down, those couple, first couple of verses are telling us the population is growing and there's some weird stuff happening. Like that's kind of very generic in general, but that's what I think we're supposed to kind of get the picture of. Uh, who wants to read this next section? Well. And the Lord saw, saw that the wickedness of men was great, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. Continue. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. Okay, two couple points I want to make. One, wickedness is growing. It's abounding. It's becoming great. It's going everywhere. And it's not just an external problem. It wasn't just a murder problem. It wasn't just a cheating on your wife problem. It wasn't just a lying problem. It was a heart problem, a mind problem, internal problem. I will tell you, most of our external problems would not be as big a deal if we had the internal. What have, if the internal is messed up, everything's messed up. You can have crummy out external situations, circumstances. If the internal is settled, you can get through that. What he's saying, inside and out, things were getting rotten. And what that did is, so this is another controversial scripture, because it says, here the Lord was sorry he made man. Some passages even use the word, the Lord repented of making man. Like, so, so did he do something wrong? How can God make a mistake? I believe Moses is grappling with words to convey what was going on in God's heart that he was grieved, he was saddened. And so one practical application out of this is understand when things, wickedness is abounding and there's evil around us, it breaks God's heart. It literally breaks his heart. And we kind of think, oh, God's way up there and this isn't affecting him. I'm in the one who's the getting lied to, or I'm the one who's getting cheated, or I'm the one. It hurts God's heart. And I think it's important for us to realize when we're hurting and when we're being hurt, when we're suffering, it affects God emotionally. That's kind of hard to wrap our brain around, but sometimes that's very comforting to know God's not just sitting up there uh, 
a stone marble statue that's untouched by our problems, when we're being sinned against, when the, the uh, curse of sin, whether it's through disease or abuse or addiction or whatever it is, when the curse of sin is hammering down on us, it's breaking God's heart. And as, as sad as that thought is, there is some comfort in that, knowing that we are important enough to God that our problems sadden him. So we see he's sad. Um, and, and so it's important for us to see that God sees this wickedness, right? That's what it says right there. The Lord saw. Parents, do you sometimes see your kid doing something and you're like, oh, I don't even want to address that. You're like, I didn't see it. I didn't hear that. They kind of like mutter something under their breath, some smart aleck word. And you're like, just tell you, go to your, you know, spouse, whatever. Like, did you hear that? Or that I'm not even going to address it. God knows what's going on. He's not turning his head. He doesn't sweep sin under the rug. He saw what was happening. He sees wickedness. He sees evil. He doesn't ignore it. He saw even what's going on in their heart. He didn't just wait for it to manifest itself in some big overt sin, like, oh, now I get it. He murdered him. There was something wrong in his heart. No, he sees it when it's the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This scripture from Hebrews is very uh, helpful, and it talks about God's view of things. And so what it says here, it's talking about the word of God is alive and powerful, which is how we're going to be judged. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Cuts between the soul and the spirit. You're like, so what's the difference between the soul and spirit? Well, it's so tightly connected. It's like joint and marrow. You ever try and get silver skin off a steak or something you're going to cook? And how tough that is? It's like that close, but they're two different things. That God can judge between that. You need a really sharp knife to cut between those things and not ruin one. And he's saying God can see that deep into your heart. He can tell, and we can't, can we? Are you ever like, was I doing that for the right reasons? Or did I just want to be patted on the back? And you can sit there and second guess. God knows. God's not second guessing. It says, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. God sees your thoughts and your desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. Here's the picture of that. The picture of that uh, for naked and exposed is naked, like you have no clothes on. And exposed is the idea of being totally vulnerable with your neck up and open in a position where it could just easily be slid. It's the idea of exposed. And so here you're saying, that's what you look like to God. We don't look like that to each other because we get hide our sin. We hide it from ourselves. We try and God sees our wickedness. God sees the evil in you. And, and understand what, what I'm saying. Uh, there's another side of this coin, but we need to make clear. We see what's going on in the scriptures. And we need, this is telling us a lot about God. He saw the wickedness that was going on. He was clued in. He wasn't clueless. He knows what's going on with us. Every little thing. Now think about your week. What was going on in your thoughts? What was going on in your tensions? What was going on in your motives? What was, man, I feel like I usually, when that stuff starts to come up, I want to go, ah, like, I don't even want to think about it. Hey, time to turn on the radio. Uh, 
Let me think about something else. Turn on a podcast. Uh, I don't want to have to face this, but God sees it and it's totally open and exposed to him. Now, it's not a sin I want us to understand. It's not just this internal thing. It's in the heart. I'm going to read through these verses because I think it's helpful for us to look at. It says, he who doubts is condemned if he eats because if he does not eat from faith, whatever is not from faith is sin. That's so discouraging. <laughs> I mean, so you kind of think, well, I didn't really sin much this week, you know, because you're thinking I didn't yell at my wife. I didn't curse. I didn't throw anything down. I didn't. He's going, if you weren't living by faith, all that was sin. Like, so God is seeing that detail into you and me. And then he says, you're like, well, I'm doing a lot better. He's like, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one measures up. I had a tape measure up here and had it strung up. And I was like, okay, this is the glory of God. This is God's perfectness. This is God's righteousness. No one measures up. We all are down there. Next, there's a whole other side of this section of hope, but I picked out the dark parts in this section. Uh, to make this point, but it does give the other side of the coin. So go back and look at that. So I said selected scriptures. Just as through one man sin entered the world, who did that happen through? Adam. Adam. Then death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sin. This is for anybody in here who thinks they got it together. Where you're a wreck, God sees your heart. And the fact that you think you got it together just added another negative in your accounting. <laughs> Nevertheless, death reigned. Death is ruling from Adam to Moses. We've been talking about Adam. We're in between here. The two is Noah's in there too. Even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgressor. So even those who didn't directly sin like Adam did and directly obey, they still sinned. It wasn't the exact nature, but they sinned. The judgment came from one offense resulted in condemnation. There's a word. And I'm, I want to make sure we understand this point. Wickedness and sin brings God's condemnation and death. And that is to every single person. That's God's response to sin. Death. Condemnation. For if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one. Therefore, as one man's offense, judgment came to all men. So Adam sinned. Everybody got uh, judgment. Everybody gets condemned. For as one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. I left one bright ray of hope in here. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. That's Jesus Christ. The other, uh, I, again, I just want to make this point. It's super clear from scriptures. We are all under the banner of sin when we are born. We're all under the banner of God's judgment when we are born. We all are all under the banner of God's condemnation when we were born. Let's keep going. Who wants to read? Did you? For the Lord said, I will destroy men created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I Again, I, I think this is God's sorrow. I think it's too much for words. I don't think God is saying like, oh, I made a mistake. Um, but we see destruction, condemnation as a result of sin. Um, God has to punish sin. That uh, You can go back and read Romans 1, 
Uh, if you want to read verses 28 to 32, it just talks about how sin just mushrooms and snowballs. And then God says, I got to judge it. So what does all this mean for us? We saw multiplication, multiplication of people, multiplication of sin, sin ingrained in people's hearts. And then we see God's going to destroy it. So we can learn that we are sinners. And what we deserve is God's wrath. And a lot of times we don't want to think that. Way. I don't deserve to be treated like this. I've been really trying. Why could God do this? You know what we really deserve? To be completely destroyed. That's what you and I bring to the table. Next, God's grace. Here's the good side. That was kind of like the vegetables. We just ate our vegetables. No one likes that. But you need to eat them. You need to hear it, right? We need to know. That's what we deserve. Now, we're moving on to some something a little bit more tasty uh, that's more palatable for us. Uh, and also important, God's grace gives us hope. Who will read these verses? There's a couple of them. I think there's two. Go ahead, Levi. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just, righteous man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Okay, so we're going to talk about grace, just, perfect, and grace is an undeserved gift. We say that a lot of times in here. Grace isn't something you earn. Grace is not a wage. Grace is not a paycheck. Grace is not something, uh, a trade-off. Grace is an undeserved gift. You don't deserve it, but God gives you a gift. Has anybody here ever received, besides just spiritually speaking, a gift they didn't deserve? That's that's the idea of grace. What, what did we just say that everybody does deserve? Death. Death, condemnation. You don't like it? Talk to God. That's what God said. But he offers grace, and his grace was shown upon Noah. And it says that he was a righteous or holy person, and it said that he was perfect in his generation. So this means that he was holy before God and that he was blameless before men. And so I want us to understand this sequence of events. God's grace allows us to be made righteous before God. And once that happens, we can learn to walk in that and we will become obedient to where people start seeing it. Right? Sometimes people start here wanting people to see it. But the important part is that we receive God's undeserved gift and we be made righteous. And so here it talks about in, in Hebrews, it talks about how that happens is through faith. And so really, if you look at it, it says, by faith, Noah was divinely warned of things not yet seen. So he couldn't see the raindrops, but he's moved with godly fear. He prepared an ark for saving of his household by which he condemned the world. And he became the heir or the recipient, like what an heir is, they receive stuff, of righteousness which is according to hard work because he built a good boat. <laughs> he got righteousness because he was trusting God. So God's grace on Noah was an undeserved gift. Noah's righteousness was not because he was doing good things. It was a result of his faith and trust in God. Hebrews says it right here. So he was made righteous by faith. Then his obedience was seen. So for us, we need to understand we all deserve sin, or we all are sinners, and we deserve condemnation. There's a way out, and the way out is by God's grace. 
It's not by being a good person. It's by putting your faith in for us. We know now it's Jesus Christ. And when we do that, God will make us righteous. And then once God makes us internally righteous and gives us a new spirit, then we can begin walking and living as righteous people. And then that's what people see. That's kind of the picture here. So I just want to say, if you are a sinner and you know the, the reality of what's in your heart and you know that you deserve condemnation, know this equally, God gives you an out. And it's not because you're great. It's because he gives good gifts to people that don't deserve it, like me and you. Amen. And he says, if you just say yes to me, I will give you a gift. There's a lot of different phrases you can use for faith. You can use faith. You can use belief. You can use trust. You can use open your heart up to God. The idea is that you are saying yes to what God says. And that's what Noah did. I believe you, God. And God says, okay, I'll give you righteousness. And in that, I'm going to give you salvation. These verses here all tell us that grace allows us to be made righteous through faith, not works. I'm just going to read the first one, but just know I didn't just like pick one verse. It's all through scripture. For by grace, you have been saved through, not of, it's the, not <laughs> works. God's righteousness, God's salvation is a gift. Was it a gift to Noah? Yes. Yeah. Noah ended up being obedient, but the gift that he got was because he put his faith and trust in what God said. So bottom line, we deserve God's wrath, but his grace makes us righteous and gives us the hope of deliverance. I'm going to move quickly through these last couple of verses. God's promise of salvation motivates us to obey. Man's a sinner, deserves condemnation, deserves hell, deserves separation from God, deserves death. God says, I'm giving you an out. Just say yes to my gift. And for us, we know that's Jesus Christ. And I will give you an out. You don't deserve it, but I'm going to give it to you. And then we know because of God's promise, now he goes, and now, because now you're going to be motivated to obey. Not because you're earning something, but because you're believing me. Who wants to read this? Go on. Dave, brother. The earth was, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. And corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to know that the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with you. Okay, I'm going to have you keep reading here in just a minute. But man, you just see this corruption filled with violence, corrupt. I just want to kind of paint a picture because one of the big arguments about this chapter is someone says, how could God be so cruel? How could God destroy everything? And I believe part of this is mercy. So imagine if there was wickedness running rampant in our city violence just and he and he's it's becoming such a problem that good people are being harmed or believers are being harmed or followers of god are being harmed and he finally says i'm done i got to destroy it for the sake of humanity i need to destroy the people in the city because they're going to just wreak havoc and it's going to perpetuate from generation to generation to generation so this is even god's goodness and kindness 
Um, and then here, if you look at it, you're like, well, how did he not give? I believe that God did probably that 120 years gave people a chance to turn to him. And I'm not just saying that because I want to believe it. I'm saying that because uh, here in, in Peter talks about the long suffering God has of God. He waited in the days. This is from First uh, Peter 3.20. He waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. So God's patiently saying, okay, I'm giving you a window. You got a window. And he points out that the preaching of Noah during that, that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So we don't read about that in Genesis, but we can read about it in First Peter, that while Noah is building this boat, probably for 120 years, he's letting pe people like, what are you building a boat for? We're in the middle, like, there's not even enough water to float that boat. And he's telling them, God's going to destroy the earth, giving them a chance to repent. And I believe that God was giving a chance to repent. And that's important for us to understand that there is a window to God's grace. And a window is as long as you're alive, but you don't know how long that is. That could end this afternoon. Someone could come through here. I know Ned's a good door guard, but someone could come through, toss a grenade in here, and we could all be gone. <laughs> Uh, the reality is the window of, of receiving God's grace, there is a there is a timeline on that. And so uh, you know, you kind of wonder God's being patient during this time, and he would offer, I believe he have offered repentance, but not really anybody we know took him up on that. And so I just kind of want to make this point. God warns before he judges. He delays the promised wrath. He wants people to turn to him, but his patience should never be abused. How many of us have done that just in life and sin? It's like, we're going to wait till them consequences catch up. And we can play, we could just, we're staying one step ahead of the bill collector, so to speak, right? One step ahead of the consequences. Don't do that. I would say <laughs> that to myself, like, why would we be knuckleheads and do that? And that's what happened. This group did not repent. And so they ended up being destroyed. I'll read this. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark, cover it inside and outside with pitch. This shows you how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. It's width 50, 50 cubits. It's height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark. You shall finish it to a cubit from above and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower and second and third decks. McKenzie made a little arc back there on the back table many years ago, I think. And that's probably very similar. In fact, a lot of the words for arc in the New Testament is a word that is used for coffin. <laughs> and so that kind of seems weird, but the words also used for coffin. And you did a great job on your arc back there. And it does look a little bit coffin like, mm -hmm. like it looks like a pine box. And so that's what they made. It wasn't, you know, this wasn't a showboat. This was a boat for saving lives. And even in that picture, there's a, so just kind of out of interesting, uh, like two times of Boeing 747, one and a half football fields, it was three uh, decks, three space shuttles, a uh, bit longer than 12 40-foot telephone poles laid end to end, using a standard boxcar required, lining up 10 of them. So that can give you kind of a picture of how big this arc was. And you're like, well, how did they get rhinoceroses on there? They're so huge. They probably had a little baby rhinos, I'm guessing. Like they didn't you have to get the biggest, baddest rhino on that thing. They just had to get some baby rhinos. Um, 
So God has him build an ark. God gives him some instructions. There's a bunch people say different things about the that these all point to Christ. I just want to say there was one door in that ark. And I don't know how much there is to this kind of illustration that a lot of people use to point that that points to Christ. But I will say there was only one way out of that flood alive. There's only one way out of condemnation. And that's Jesus Christ. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the father, but by me. And so God's grace is right there. But he says, you got to take my plan and my gift. You can't come up with your own way. And I'm sure people were trying to scatter and build rafts and grab logs to float. No other way works. We got to pick God's way. Behold, I myself am bringing flood waters on the earth to destroy from under the heaven all flesh in which the breathing, in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant that's a promise with you and you shall go in the ark and you and your sons and your wife and your son's wives with you. So basically what he's saying is Noah, I'm giving you a promise. The promise is if you go in that ark, you're going to live every living thing of all the flesh. You shall bring two of them. Every sort of the ark to keep them alive with you shall be male and female. The birds after their kind, the animals after their kind and every creeping thing of the earth of its kind, Two of every kind will come for you to keep them alive. You shall take for yourself of all the food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So what is, what is this another way of saying? Noah what? Obeyed. Noah obeyed. It's important for us to, to realize Noah obeyed because he believed God. Believe should trigger obedience. Now, all those interesting dimensions and all that, but I don't think, would Noah have spent time building the ark for 120 years if he didn't believe God's promise? He's like, eh, I doubt it. I don't know. Maybe there's another way. I, uh, it doesn't even look like it's raining. It hasn't looked like it's raining in 100 years. So I, why do we need to do this ark? No, but he believed God was made righteous and he obeyed in his day-to-day living. Imagine the grind of going out and cutting down a tree and planing planks and getting pitch and hauling lumber and fastening the lumber together and probably being mocked and preaching at the same time. He was faithful. He was obedient. And the reason he did that was because he believed God. And I will say, if we are not being obedient, us, you and me in our day-to-day livings, it's because we don't really buy into what God's saying. We think there's another way, another plan, or we're doubting God. And so I was thinking about, he was living in the security of God's promises. All this, and he's got, I'm confident. I'm, li- I'm going to make it. I'm going to live. We can live that way in this broken down situation we're in. And we can live out our day-to-day lives with God's promises, knowing we're forgiven, knowing we have a home in heaven, knowing we have access to him, knowing he wants to hear our request. The list goes on and on and on and on. But when you believe God, it affects what you do every single day. God's promise of salvation motivates us to obey him. I'm going to close with this. God's grace rescues sinners from condemnation. Is that still true today? It is. Romans 5 says this. 
since we have been made right in God's eyes and God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us, just like he rescued Noah, from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still enemies, that's when he did it. Well, he didn't wait for us to get it together. We were still enemies. We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice. Do you think Noah was rejoicing knowing he would live? We can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because the Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. But there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. The sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. We saw that in the chapter. But even greater is God's wonderful grace, his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. God's grace rescues sinners like us. And Romans 6 says the wages of sinner, what you earn is death. But the gift of God you don't earn is eternal life. And we receive that by putting our faith and our trust in him. I know there is a ton in that chapter. I would just want to encourage you as you walk away this week, remembering we deserve death. God gives us a gift and we can trust his promise that we have a home in heaven. And because of that, we can live out our day day lives in the grind of it all. Like Noah, it may seem difficult, but knowing I'm saved and I'm going to live my day to day life for him in his grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the hope, the life, the rescue we have from condemnation as we read about the world being condemned. And Noah was rescued. I know that you rescue us through your son. I feel like we covered so much here. Father, I pray that you would allow the parts to stick that need to stick, that you kind of bring them to mind through the week, and that you would bless everybody here for showing up today and wanting to worship you and fellowship and to hear your word. So I just pray that this word would transform us internally. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Have a great week.